0: And if I do it right, you're supposed to do Hebrews chapter 7 all in one teaching. So I'm probably going to be doing it wrong tonight. (laughs) But it's one sweeping conversation. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to inhabit the praises of your people. That's according to your Bible. You said that you would do that. We've been worshiping you, loving on your name, loving on your word. We love you, God. And Father, we thank you so much that even a day as beautiful as today is nothing compared to what's coming for all those who put their trust in you. And so Father, we pray that you would have your way with us tonight, be over all the children's ministry that's going on, junior high and high school, and the family night tonight after service, my goodness, the last one. May it be a tremendous time of making friends and seeing the kids have a great time and just all of it together. We thank you, God, for the freedom that we have right now to gather together as a church family. We love it. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 So we're looking at a message series now titled, Having a Priest Better Than You. Having a priest better than you. It starts in Hebrews 7. And the reason why it's important that you have a priest better than you is because, listen, it is human nature for us to counsel ourselves in religious matters. It's weird. Think about it. The pendulum will swing one way or the other when it comes to uh, you making determinations about your spirituality. Uh, you might conclude, this is the way I'm going to do it. I feel like I should do this. Or, you know, I've talked to a few people. I kind of got some thoughts together, and I'm going to embark uh, on this issue or this vision. And um, technically, you leave God out of it. You, you view it from your own religious or spiritual uh, perception, and you, you launch out in this chapter of your life versus the pendulum, as I said, swinging the other way to where you so much are dependent upon an earthly priest or pastor or evangelist, fill in the blank, a spiritual person in your life, that you're sold out to that person or to that group. Maybe it's a leadership or maybe it's a team or maybe it's even something that you have in your life where there's just a handful of you, but there will always be somebody that will call the shot. It just happens that way. And when that happens, uh, you give up on what the Bible says because this person just told you. I had this happen to me just a week ago. Somebody came up to me and they said, I've got to tell you what God wants to tell you. And I said, okay, and so they began to tell me, and I said, the only problem that what you just said is that is not only not in the Bible, it's opposite to what the Bible says. So when somebody says, listen, I'll lead you, I'll guide you, and you say, okay, you've got a priest going on in your life that's leading you. What you need to hear tonight is there's one priest in all of life that should be leading you, and that's Jesus Christ. Everything a pastor, an evangelist, a priest, a pope has to say has got to be marked against the word of God. Everything's got to be tested by this book, the Bible, that will never lead you astray. Somebody said just recently, uh, since last Thursday, in the fallout of the school board meeting here in town, which has made national news, I was on Chicago News today, regarding our school board meeting, and um, somebody had said, oh, you know what, all those people from that cult showed up, <laughs> from that cult, what cult is that, the bi- those Bible thumpers, those Bible people. Oh, wait a minute. First of all, you don't even know what a cult means if that's, what you, if that's how you're describing us as Bible-believing followers of Jesus. Because listen, we don't march to the, the drumbeat of some uh, patriarchal uh, denominational leadership that is stationed someplace in the world that makes the decree and thus we must walk. No, listen, we're supposed to go to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you in this book. And that's all because of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. And let me add this while I'm on a funky roll here. There's a, there's a thing going on um, that you need to be careful about. I've heard about it from afar, I don't know of any of it nearby. And, uh, and that's good, it can happen afar. I don't want it nearby. But there's a thing that is doing exactly what we're talking about and it's called prophetic prayer. Where people are going to churches and you make an appointment to meet with somebody and you are told to come in, sit down, be quiet and get ready to receive from what God is going to tell that church leader about your life and then you go do it without question. You guys, I'm an old man. I've lived a long time. And back in the 80s, that was called the shepherding movement. It's back again, where authoritative figures will tell you what you ought to do next. Listen, avoid that. Get away from that. In fact, I I hope this is the only thing you'll ever hear from me, and it's this. Read it in the Bible. The Bible. The Bible. The Bible says, go to the Bible. Always the Bible. And in these last days, you can't play Russian roulette, as it were, uh, with your soul and with your spirit you got to make sure that you've got a priest that is better than you, or anybody else for that matter. The Bible tells us as we look to this, it's important take notes on this one. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 reminds us that whatever things were written before, Paul's talking to the Romans about the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, that's the Old Testament, might have hope. What a tremendous word. So as we get set up for this, church, I want you to keep in mind the validity and value of the scriptures. Look to the screens. It's Sunday evening now. Uh, The sun is getting ready to set. The faithful Jews, they've witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. The Roman government has witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. Nicodemus now and Joseph of Arimathea have come to the cross they took the body down, and they buried the body of Jesus in the family tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. We know from history he was a wealthy man. In fact, you know that when you go to his tomb. You can visit his tomb today. It's on earth. It's an archaeological site, and it's one of our stops on our Holy Land tours. And the reason how you know it's a wealthy man's site is because uh, you'll be heart-pressed to find a larger tomb of that size in all of Israel. You had to be, if you had a big tomb, you were a rich man. And uh, he had a big tomb, and Jesus was laid in that tomb. And uh, by the way, the carving outs for other bodies to be laid were, never happened. It never, they were never done. Isn't that interesting? There was one area carved out to receive the first. Maybe Joseph thought he would be the first one to lay in there. It turns out that it was Jesus Christ himself. And in that tomb tonight or today in Israel, uh, Thursday in Israel right now, uh, you go to that tomb and there's only one body had inhabited that tomb. And then for whatever reasons, they seem to have sealed it off and made it uh, special. But uh, it's kind of cool. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of awesome because you can fly 15 hours and then take an hour drive with us to Tel Aviv, uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, I should say and uh, go into the garden tomb and uh, do what I saw a young teenager do one time. We were standing there talking, we were giving a teaching and we were overlooking the garden tomb and some teenager uh, comes running in there. You see him, he's a big, tall, lanky kid. I'll never forget him. He comes running in, his his hat's backwards and he looks inside and he yells back to his friends, I don't know what the big deal is, there's nothing here. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was a stunt, but it was cute. I don't know what the big deal is. There's nothing here. And that's the whole point. He's risen from the dead. So now it's late in the evening. Jesus is in the tomb. Now behold, two of them, two disciples, traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things that had happened. And so it was, that while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself, Excuse me, what? His body was laid in the tomb on that Friday, and now it's Resurrection Day. Now, they found they, they, the tomb's empty. There are rumors all around town that the women saw Jesus risen from the dead. But I don't know if you know this or not, but a woman's testimony at, in the first century was only worth half the testimony of a man. Did you know that? It took two women eyewitnesses to make one man's testimony. Yep. So women were talking about how they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Peter's talking about it. John's talking about it. They're not exactly sure. There's a lot of people that were involved in that resurrection morning announcement. But these two guys, they're walking along. And as they talk together... That so it was, verse 15, they're conversing, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Play this out in your head. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. That must have been a God thing. God, God either blinded them so that they did not understand. I don't mean blinded them, but they didn't get it. Or most scholars believe, and this is pretty romantic, but it's pretty gruesome. We know from Bible prophecy and we know from Jesus himself speaking to the disciples when Thomas was in the room. Do you remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus suddenly appears and Thomas was the one who earlier in his bombacity said, I'm not going to believe any of, this stu- any of this stuff until I take my finger and stick it in the holes of his hand. Of course, he said that with such uh, confidence while Jesus was not around. He, the Bible says that Thomas was the doubter. I appreciate him. Uh, doubting is okay for a moment. The Bible is to dispel doubt. Don't anybody tell you that living in with doubt—living with doubt—is part of your your normal life. God, listen. Faith comes by hearing; hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. Whenever doubt pops up, you slay it with faith in what God has said. Okay, it's very important. So Thomas was a doubter, and the Bible tells us that Jesus suddenly appears, and what does he say? Jesus, it says Jesus turns to Thomas and says to him, put your fingers in the holes of my hand. Here, Thomas. And then Jesus says, now thrust your hand into my side. Remember, there's a gaping hole in his side. What's your point, Jack? My point is the resurrected Jesus has gruesome scars. The Bible says when Jesus returns in the second coming, Israel will say to him, where did you receive all of these wounds in your body? And he's going to be announcing to them. He says, I received them in the house of my friends. He calls those who turned on him his friends. Quite remarkable. And so the Bible says their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is it that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? Then the one who is named Cleopas. We understand that Cleopas in church history would be Peter. It's possibly that Peter is walking with someone else home to Emmaus at this particular juncture, at this moment. And he answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, verse 19, What things I mean you got it. This is funny. What things. And by the way, you know we laugh at that and I think that's a cute thing and he's he's what's he doing? He's doing what he does to us. Jesus wants to draw out of you and I confession that is backed up by faith. He wanted them to speak about what had happened. And he often does that. When a when a woman came to Jesus and she needed a healing, what did Jesus say to her? He said, "Woman, I've come for Israel, not for for you. And she hung on to him. She demanded that he act. And he commended her faith. He wasn't pushing her away. He was drawing faith out of her. He loves a tenacious faith. That if you read the word, hang on to it. And you can hold God. You can say, God, your word says right now, that right here, That if I put my faith in you, you'll never leave me or forsake me. Why am I so cast down? And don't be surprised if God speaks to you and says, Jack, I'm not concerned about how you feel. I want to know what you believe. Do you trust me in what I say? Yes, Lord. Then listen, the feelings will evaporate just as quickly as they came. But my word will never, never alter. So you hang on to that. He's very good about that. So what things? So they said to him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, listen, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. By the way, that's a political steep statement. Uh, they were really confessing this. We were hoping that he was the one that would redeem Israel out of the grip of Roman tyranny and establish the kingdom. It still hasn't clicked that he died for the sins of the world. You can know all about Jesus, but if you miss this, that he died for your sins, then you just know stuff about Jesus. But do you know... The most important thing about him. He didn't come to redeem Israel and its politics. He came to redeem Israel and the world from their sins. And the second coming is all about his politics and his judgment. Did you know that, everybody? You want to talk political? In the second coming, Jesus is returning to establish on earth his government. He'll rule and reign from Jerusalem. Man, that's going to be amazing. That's going to be... But that's at least seven years and... One day away. So, (laughs) wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if tonight is our last Bible study? It'd be awesome. Wouldn't it be great? Wow. I lost my place. Where was I? Uh, Verse uh, 22. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all, here it is, that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? Watch this. And beginning at Moses, that's Genesis 1, beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded to them expositional. He taught them the word of God that is them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Absolutely stunning. He opened up the Bible. Jesus opens up the Word of God and told them about Himself. Where? Genesis to the Old Testament, Malachi, all the way through. This is important for where we're going tonight because you're going to hear again and again and again about Old Testament scriptures and prophecies. Very, very important. For note taking sake, I'm not going to read it, it'll take too much time. But please mark this in your notes or mark it down on the margins of Hebrews 7 in your Bible. Just write down Genesis 14, verses 8 to 20. You can get all the details, and I'll just paraphrase. Lot is separated from Abram at this time. Remember, Lot is living near Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible tells us that the kings of the east came... And warred against the kings of the west. And took Lot and others captive. And Abraham hears about it. And so Abraham takes 318 of his commandos. You ever think, you never think about Abraham having warriors? He has 318 warriors that go to battle out against these uh, kings that took his people and his concern captive and defeated them. And it was a miraculous thing. And this happens in Genesis chapter 14. And when Abram or Abraham is coming from that battle back home, there's a man by the name of Melchizedek that comes out from the valley or from the city of Salem. Most believe Salem of course Salem means peace and Jerusalem is the city of peace that It's this guy Melchizedek, it says it in Genesis 14. This man comes out, and the Bible says that he's the priest and king of the Most High God. In Genesis, it's our first introduction to this guy, and his genealogy is not listed. It's almost that he appears on the scenes. And we've talked about him before in earlier studies, but tonight we're dialing down on the fact that the ministry of Jesus, get this, Hebrews chapter 7 is about the ministry of Jesus Christ, watch, which is not like the Arianic priesthood. Remember the priesthood from the Levitical line, Old Testament? Moses had it set up by by the order of God. And Aaron, his brother, from Aaron came the Levitical priesthood. And it's a very big deal. And if you're Jew today, it's the top. But you're going to read tonight that Jesus is better than that. Now, for the Jew, that's like, wait a minute. Oh, but just hang on for a second. My friends who are Jewish, listen. Do you know who Melchizedek is? You see, yes, yes, of course. We read that in the Bible. Genesis, yes, of course. Okay, listen. The Bible says that Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God. Are you hearing me? There were no Levites in those days. A Levite hadn't been born yet. You want to know Why? Because listen, Moses hadn't been born yet. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no Old Testament regarding Leviticus and Exodus to that priesthood order or to the conversation of how do we relate to God? Oh, through this priesthood. That wasn't yet given. So watch what's happening. I hope you get this. It really excited me. (laughs) If someone's going to say, nope, it's got got to be the Levitical priesthood. It's got to be through Aaron. It's got to be Old Testament. Listen, it's got to be Judaism. This is important. When you say Judaism, if you mean the reading of the Old Testament, I'm all with you. If you're saying the traditions of men, remember Jesus spoke about that? You neglect the word of God and hang on to the traditions of men as though that's the truth. People began to embrace the traditions of leaders rather than the word of God, and Jesus rebuked them for it. Here's what's very, very cool. Before the Levitical line ever arose, there was a priest by the name of Melchizedek who was the king of Salem, the king of righteousness, and when he met Abraham after that battle, press pause. Abraham's a big deal. God has spoken to him, God is establishing him. Everybody in that region of the world knew that God had promised Abraham a nation that would last forever. Abraham, many considered Abraham at the time, the richest man in the known world at that time. Be that as it may, Abraham being a great guy of tremendous influence, What happens when Melchizedek comes out walking? Abraham sees him and bows to him and offers him a tithe of all that they had taken from the battle. And then Melchizedek breaks open bread and wine and they have a a communion service. Genesis 14. The Bible says that Melchizedek, because he was a type, he was a prototype, never had a beginning, never has an end, no lineage, he appears on the scene as though divine. I believe that this is a picture of a type of what Christ would be in the future. So it goes like this. No priesthood but Melchizedek. The Bible says in the Old Testament, Psalm 110, if we ever get there tonight, Will tell you, David said, Oh, yeah, that guy Melchizedek. Now, you gotta remember, David came along much later. David said, You Mel- Melchizedek, his priesthood's forever. David the Jew should have said, if he was keeping the traditions of men, Oh, no, it's the Levitical line. Are you with me, everybody? Are you tracking this? Or am, I, oh, am I the only one excited? <laughs> it's very thrilling because this all comes into the part of who's your priest? How much Jesus qualifies? Because the Levitical line was preempted by a priesthood that was lived out in the life of one individual who was the king of Salem, the prince of peace, the prince of righteousness. He's the prototype of the coming Christ. And then the Bible tells us that God would do away someday in the Old Testament. He was going to do away with the Levitical priesthood and establish a a priesthood forever. I just want you to think about that, especially if you're Jewish tonight. To be a true Jew, Romans chapter 2, tells you that you must worship God and be circumcised in the heart, not on the outward part. You know what the outward part I'm talking about? God says, I don't care about that. But I'm circumcised. God says, I don't, I don't care. But, but, no, I don't care. It's like, a, it's like somebody saying, I got baptized, so I'm going to heaven. No, if you're looking at baptism to get you into heaven, you got wet. God says, I need to know, I, don't, I want to have, I require your heart to be circumcised. Very, very important. So you look at that later in your study. That's your homework tonight, Genesis 14. But mark this down. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the listen. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Are you seeing this, everybody? This is the book of Jeremiah, the prophet. When Jesus unlocked the scriptures to those two disciples, he no doubt would have gone to Jeremiah 31. He would have shown them. He would announce to them, Remember the Ten Commandments? Of course we do. Can't save you. They only pointed to me. I fulfilled the Ten Commandments. When you believe that, that I'm the fulfillment of the requirement of the law, the Holy Spirit writes salvation onto your heart. He puts the law on your heart, not on a tablet in front of your face. It's not how many Ten Commandments you have posted in your house. Is it in your hearts? And that's the new covenant. The new covenant is the just shall live by faith in what God has done. Not any law. You can't keep that. Only Christ can keep the law. Colossians 2 verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink. These are in line with sacrificial type things. Somebody's going to say, you see, I can have my Bible in my beer. I can have, I can get, That's that's not the verse. You can't judge me whatever I'm drinking. It's requiring a worshipful act. It's it's requiring a a sacred uh, act to God. Don't anybody judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moons or Sabbaths which are a shadow of the things to come. Here it is. But the substance is Christ, everybody. The substance is Jesus Christ. Skipping ahead, Hebrews 8 verse 5. Hebrews 8, verse 5. Who served the copy? Those that were holding on. He's warning them. If you depart out of Christianity or out of following Christ and you go back to the old system, it's a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, remember that? The booth, the structure, uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness. For he said, that is God spoke, and said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The wilderness experience in Israel with the Ark of the Covenant was simply a model. Go to a toy store, and you'll see a model of of an aircraft carrier. It's not an aircraft carrier. It's a model of one. When God told Moses... Build the Ark of the Covenant. Here's the blueprints. It's a model of the one that's in heaven. We don't need Indiana Jones to find it. God knows exactly where. We, listen, well, where is it? It's got to be buried somewhere. Who cares? Well, the meaning of it. Honestly, if you know your Bible, if somebody dug a hole today and found the Ark of the Covenant today, do you think if you walked up to it and touched it, you'd fry Like, Would it kill you? Absolutely not. You want to know why? It's a shadow. It was a type of that which is in heaven. Christ came and fulfilled all of its demands. It holds nothing but archaeological meaning, which is awesome. But the actual Ark of the Covenant is in heaven. It's always been there. It's been there before Moses was ever born. That's why Moses made one after the pattern he saw in heaven. And I love that, because my salvation, your salvation, is secure in the blood of Christ in heaven, not, oh, thank God, not in some room, not some museum, not some religious site. No, Jesus buried our treasure with himself, rose again from the dead, and then presented that treasure, his blood, on the altar before God in heaven above Awesome. Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Did you know that, everybody? Your priest, your religion, whatever you're banking on, if it's outside of the person of Christ, you're missing the mark completely. So here we go. Hebrews 7, verse 1. I'll read it. You can follow along. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, prince of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. Remains a priest continually. A model, a picture. Verse 4. Now, consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi... This gets deep, everybody. You ready? Take a deep breath. Get O2 in your brain. Get ready for this. This gets... It, this gets exciting. Those of you who are scientists in the room, you're going to love this because it's going to, it's going to flirt with DNA here in a second. Those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law that is from their brethren. Though they have come from the loins of Abraham. What? There were no Levites when Abraham was around. But God says the Levites were in Abraham's DNA. They're going to come later from Abraham. Look how God thinks. Abraham's looking around. People are looking at Abraham. What's going on? What do I know? God says, inside of you, Looking ahead to the future, there's going to be Levites that come out. <laughs> You're going to make Levites. Okay. God looks prophetically. Don't you love that? Our God looks ahead. Nothing surprises him. He's got it. And so, he says in verse 6, but... He whose genealogy is not derived from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. He's talking about Melchizedek. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. We get all that? The lesser, you know, listen. um, I was in England recently, uh, just after, uh, not too long after King Charles was installed. Is that his name? Charles, right? King Charles. Uh, Now, I don't think... I mean, you know, there's a big to-do, you know. It's a big deal. Uh, for them. We're Americans. We don't really care. But anyway. Um, but isn't king, king Charles... I say King Charles. Charles, Chuck, is just like us. No, seriously. You understand that? See, Jack, he's the king of England. Yes, he's the king. But as a person, human... He's just like us. What makes him different? A bloodline. A crown. I could not walk into Buckingham Palace and bless King Charles. Do you understand that? First of all, they'd arrest me. I'd, I'd never be able to get past the gate. But if King Charles came out and said, Hey, Jack! I want... I want to give you a free pass to go see the crown jewels. He just blessed me. You want to know why? He's the king. The greater blesses the lesser. We're both humans, but he's the king. I'm not the king. Are you with me? The greater always blesses the lesser. That's always true. And so this is awesome. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better or the greater. Verse 8. Here, that is in this world, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Watch verse 9. Even Levi, who receives tithes, (laughs) paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still... In the loins of his father, that's Abraham, when Melchizedek met him. When Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth percent, a tithe, that's what what tithe means, ten percent. The Bible here is saying, this is mind-blowing. Us Gentiles, we don't get this. When Abraham did that, because the Levites were in his DNA, the Bible took it, God took it this way. Look, the, the Levites just tithed to Melchizedek. See, why don't you see a Levite anywhere? Well, you can't see them, but I can see the future, God says, and they're in Abraham's loins. They're in his blood. This is deep stuff all of a sudden, people. This is how your God thinks. Abraham blessed Melchizedek, and so did the entire human family. Think of that for a moment. Extremely powerful. Verse 10 says, For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Verse 11, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, here we go, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? I know this is technical, but hang on. This is beautiful stuff. Melchizedek has nothing to do with the Arianic priesthood. Melchizedek has nothing to do with the Levites. He's greater than them. And they, through Abraham, tithe to Melchizedek. That's how big of a creature or feature this is. This guy is displaying Bible prophecy in the meeting up with Abraham in chapter 14 of Genesis. It's deep stuff. Verse 12 says, For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. That means the law can only go so far and those who represent it. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. In other words, uh, there's no representative but Melchizedek who's ever done this. Verse 14, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah which Judah, the word means praise or to praise God, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, he's referring to the Old Testament commandment and the priesthood, but according to the power of an endless life. Now do you see why, are you guys asleep? Do you see well? Do you see why Melchizedek is spoken of, where it says that he had no lineage, no day, no end of days, no big- because he's a type of Christ. Jesus Christ lives forever. He lived forever. He came into this world wearing human skin, born from Mary. Only did his flesh die at the cross. Remember that his body died, buried, and on the third day resurrected from the dead. Because that's what God does to a people and to a world that He loves. He came and he paid the price for our sin debt. Rose again from the dead to justify our life. If you put your faith in Christ tonight, what assurance do you have? Christ is risen from the dead. How do you know that God's going to keep his word of promise to you that he'll wash away all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame? Because Christ is risen from the dead. And his priesthood, thank God, is not tied to Aaron. It's not tied to the Levites because their priesthood expired. But God was faithful to show a prophetic prototype in the man Melchizedek to get us all excited. Man, I tell you, if you're a Jew and you're getting this and you've got your Old Testament open, you're, you're, you're right now, you're like starting to freak because it's like, man, everything, everything I'm hearing here in this New Testament Bible study is all about the Old Testament. And you're talking about my people, man. Yeah, yeah, listen, we're talking about your people. But we want, we want you to know that there is a Messiah, a Savior, that your book promises all peoples. God's Redeemer was to come from Israel. And he did. See, tonight the Jews are waiting for the Messiah to come. How sad is that? Listen up, everybody. He said, What was wrong with that? because the Bible is crystal clear, they're waiting for the Messiah to come. They don't believe he came earlier. You and I are waiting for him to come again. Exactly. We're waiting for him to come a second time. He came 2,000 years ago to die for our sins at the cross. To be an atonement. He's coming a second time to be the deliverer. Tragically, the Jews do not believe he came the first time, according to... Isaiah 53, they don't believe it. They don't believe he died on the cross for their sins. They said, no, 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 the Messiah comes and he's a political deliverer. So they're waiting for a political deliverer and they're believing, by the way, he's coming soon. You know what the Bible says he is called? The Antichrist. Anti means against and it also means instead of. They're gonna go after the instead of Christ and they're waiting for him right now. It's very, very tragic, and yet the scripture is very, very clear about it. But note this, that it's an endless life that this Melchizedek speaks of, and I'm just guessing, have you heard of anybody else in human history in relation to saving the world that has an endless life? Only Jesus. For he testifies in verse 17, here we go. You are priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You guys, we're talking, King David is, is, is saying this. I believe it's the 110th Psalm. I'm going from memory. If somebody could turn there and make sure that I'm on target. If I'm not, shout, shout it out. Now, I'll, I'll change my mind quick. 100, well, it's the, by the way, it's a very short Psalm, if I remember. It's the 110th Psalm. The whole Psalm it's what's known as a messianic psalm, everybody. You ought to write that down. Psalm 110 only applies to the Messiah of Israel in the world. Okay? And when David prophesied, this is David. This is, so this is David after Abraham. This is David after the Levites. This is David after Aaron. Please get this. I'll put it to you this way. This is what David didn't do. In Psalm 110, David did not say, Moses, it it was talked about with Abraham, uh, Moses brought it forth, the Levitical priesthood, uh, that's that's it, that's all. uh, End of story, moving on to the 111th Psalm. He didn't do that. Everybody Look at the 110th Psalm. It's as though David was born again. I said, it's as though he were born again. Now he wasn't born again, but he's acting born again. He is prophesying under the power of God, the 110th Psalm, and he's making this announcement. And part of it is right here. The author of the book of Hebrews goes back, as it were, in his Bible study and says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He's quoting David which means David says Aaron's priesthood can't do it. That's what he's saying. Did you get it? Everybody? The Levite David is saying the Levites they can't do it. David is saying this. David is saying somebody's coming. He's coming. He's the one. He's uh, DNA, the promises have been given to me David that he's going to come from my loins, my DNA. It's already been promised to me that there will be one from my guts who will sit on the throne, my throne, from Jerusalem, who will live forever. David knew way back then. It can't be a Levite. They die. Can't be anybody from Aaron's group. They die. Must be somebody in line with the typology of Melchizedek. Is it awesome? Yeah. Psalm 110, how many verses, is it like eight verses total though? Seven verses total? All seven belong to the Messiah, but verse four is what the the author of the book of Hebrews is quoting here. Isn't it amazing? You're reading right now a 2,000-year-old document, and that 2,000-year-old document is quoting a 1,000-year-before-it statement from the Bible. So when you read... You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You're looking at a 3,000-year-old statement that's on, in your hands right now. But you love museums? Do you love museums? I love museums. I love them. And I I wish I always wish the same thing. Whatever I'm looking at, if it's a, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's a statue, bones, pot, spoon, I always think the same thought. Man, I wish this thing could talk to me. You ever have that thought? I wish it could talk. What, what would it say? Imagine what the pottery from the Babylonian Empire would say. I knew Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> I saw a tablet recently at Oxford that is in a museum, and it was a tablet, and it was written from the court of Esther, and it references her name, from Esther from Judah. It said. There's only one Esther from Judah. And this was in a secular museum. And I can turn chapter verse of the Bible. Isn't that amazing? I love it. I think Psalm 185, boy, I'm in a bad roll tonight. I'm just quoting these things dangerously here. living large. I think it's Psalm 85 verse 4 or, uh, yeah, I think so. 85 verse 4 that says that truth shall spring forth from the earth. Is that the right one? This is a. You've learned tonight that it's a. It's a group Bible study going on. <laughs> Psalm eighty-five four, uh, and I love that because when, whenever you put a shovel in the ground and you dig, uh, eighty-five eleven. Really? All right. <laughs> Psalm eighty-five eleven, not four. Eighty-five eleven. Truth shall spring forth from the earth. You put a shovel in the ground in the Middle East and you bring up something. Guess what? There it is in your Bible. Every time they do an archaeological dig, they never disprove the Bible. They find out what was already written in the Bible. It's awesome. That's our God. I mean, he's just it's just awesome. Verse 18. For on one hand, there is the annulling, doing away with. It's a very beautiful word, by the way. Uh, the, annulling, it, the annulling is taking something and carrying it away and setting it down because it's done. It could be a life. It could be a broken part. It could be something that is now complete, like the contract is now fulfilled, and it's done, and you lay it, you, lay, you kind of enshrine it. There it is, it's done. Watch, it had its time, it had its season, let it rest. People, listen, we're almost done. You gotta do this. It's announcing, there was, an, there was a time when something was going to be annulled. Friends, we're talking about the Old Testament promises of a coming Messiah and that the law could not save you. Legalism will kill you. It will destroy you. It will dry you up and leave you hating. Whatever is church or whatever is faith or whatever is God, you'll run from it. And I don't blame you, but it's not true. The announcement that God gives you tonight is that he has done it all and that his life he wants to impart to you. And in that is the righteousness of God. It's freely given. And so, verse 22, but so much more, Oh, excuse me, i messed up. Verse 20. And insomuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, here it comes, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. God's not going to change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety, guarantee, down payment of a better covenant. My goodness, you see the magnitude of this? The Bible is saying Jesus is the better covenant. Moses gave the law. God says, fantastic, but no human can keep it. I'm going to send my son. He'll keep the demands of the law, and that will put away, put away, and enshrine what was earlier given and complete it. It's fantastic. It's great. It's holy and pure, but it can't save you. But its demands must be met. Yes, that's why the Messiah would be born a man, come into this world, meet all of its requirements, and put, I like to look at it this way, put Moses, or the Ten Commandments, imagine just tucking them into bed and putting them to sleep. (laughs) Where Moses could lay down and say, finally, someone met the demands of the law. I was getting so tired of all these bloody sacrifices. Blood here, blood there, another lamb, another sheep, another, are you with me? Finally, the Lamb of God has come who takes away the sins of the world. Moses lays down. Moses is great, but Moses couldn't save you. God just tucks the Old Testament away. Once it was fulfilled, he puts it to rest. Why? Because the new covenant came. And it's all in him. A better covenant. It's right in your Bible, by the way. You read it a moment ago. Jeremiah 31, 31, I'll make a new covenant. Also, there were many priests because because they were prevented by death from continuing. Oh, I have such a great priest. He's wonderful, but he just dropped dead. (laughs) Now what am I going to do? You see? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Why would you trust in a priest? He's got an expiration date on him. You see where this is going? Are you trusting a human to tell you what to do? When to stand up, when to sit down? That's first okay, that's bad. But if you are, what are you going to do when they die? Why waste your effort? Why don't you put your faith in Jesus? For listen, for one thing, it's pretty awesome that he died and rose again. Changed the calendar changed the course of human history, fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. I would rather put my trust in him who I've never met, knowing that he's risen from the dead. I'd rather go with that deal with him than what some nincompoop is saying about, follow me. Let's go. Mm. No. I mean, it's just a clincher. If you're listen, your faith has got to be in Jesus, friend, or you're 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 mistaken big time. Uh, because nobody in human history has ever had a book written about them like Jesus has, and it's called the Bible. I mean, it's just. I mean, who who, who are you hanging with spiritually? What are you gonna do with this? Well, I'm just I'm just a member of the First Baptist Coastal <laughs> Congregation of whatever's, and we're good. No. No, you need Jesus. You you really need him. And so verse twenty-four but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also oh, this is awesome. Is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him Amen. since he always lives to make intercession for them. How about for you? Jesus always lives and he's talking to the Father. He's talking to the Father about me. Why not you? I trust him. He, he, is, he died for my sins and rose again from the dead. He's talking to the Father about my life. I'm good with that. Amen. Somebody might say, oh man, I don't want to be talking to the Father about my life. You need to meet him. Amen. He doesn't have a hammer. Not yet anyway. I mean, he's going to come. He's coming later with a sword and it's going to be nasty. But, you, but listen... You need to decide on him now. Yeah, yeah. You can be forgiven now. And could you imagine that right now, tonight, you can have your relationship set right with Jesus, and then he starts talking to the Father? Imagine I mean I'm making this part up now. Imagine if he's saying, Oh my goodness, this poor guy, this poor guy, the, oh wait a minute. This guy just accepted my sacrifice at the cross? He believes, he trusted I, I rose again from the dead, and my Holy Spirit has just moved inside this person who just opened up his heart and life to me? Father, everything I said about that guy and we have on record, all of the spreadsheets on that dude's sins, they're now covered in blood. They're all washed red. They're gone. They're gone. That transaction happens in heaven, friends. It can't happen on earth. It happens in heaven. And thank God it happens there because it's safe there. I'm going to end this. No, man, I mean I'm going to finish. That's what I mean by ending. I'm not stopping now. Verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us. Just right. How so? Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. That means he was God sinless. And has become higher than the heavens. That means his, It means he's positioned above all. Ooh, think about the demonic realm. Satan said... In Ezekiel chapter 28 and in Isaiah 14, Satan said, I want to be like the most high God. I want to be above his throne. Well, that's just tough. It's not going to happen. 27, who does not need daily as those priests, high priests, that's priests of this earth, of this world, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For this uh, he did once for all. Jesus died, he suffered once and for all people. When he offered up himself for the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, the law appoints a man. If you're a Levite, you've been appointed by the law of God. Here's the problem you're a sinner. Who are you? Nicodemus, you guys, his righteousness was awesome. His lifestyle probably makes us look terrible, but he was lost. Nicodemus, like anyone else, like all of us, are sinners. But Christ is not. The weakness is we can see what's good and can't do it. We can get up tomorrow morning and say, that's it, I got my big boy boots on. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to do this for God. And before you get to your car, you slip on a banana peel and out (laughs) flies some superlative. And it's like, What? And the Bible tells us here, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. It means this. Church, you can close your Bibles. It means this. You can stand. You can stand. It means this. Everything that God has required of mankind to do, there are people who will not go to church because they think they're going to be told what to do. Got to do this. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Listen, in Jesus, thou gets to. Thou gets to and thou thy gets... Why? Because he changes your heart. And what is the heartthrob of heaven becomes the heartthrob of you. It's a whole new life. It's not wrapped up in your priest. They can drop dead on you. Our high priest laid down his life, only for the weekend, mind you, okay. <laughs> and rose again to conquer death. Thank you. I tell you what, man, trust Christ. Believe in him. You'll never regret it. Father, we pray that tonight, even right now, people would be saying, that's it. Yes, that's for me. He's for me. Listen, my friend, maybe you're thinking that's got to be more complicated. You just come to God. God. You say yes to him. Say, Lord, if any of the stuff I've heard tonight's true, will you reveal that in my life? You can do that right where you're at. If you're remotely curious, can you just say this? If you're real, will you show me? You can ask him. So from this moment on, I highly encourage you to be watching and listening. You may be an atheist, a great skeptic right now. You may be an agnostic, whatever your smokescreen is. You can have it right now in the solitude of your mind. Just say, God, if this is real, show me. And um, by this coming Sunday, grab me in the courtyard and tell me what happened to you. Don't be surprised if God speaks to you on your way home tonight. We prayed in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you in the courtyard tonight. God bless you.